0: Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10:30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Just one little thing I'll tell you. Then we'll jump into uh, meeting some people here who led up to the birth of the Messiah. We think that we have put together we're in the process i should say of putting together what may be the only format with the intent of uh, with the results being that uh, when our kids go away to university that isn't a christian university and by the way not all of them who calls themselves christian are but uh, We'll stay faithful to the truth. I'll I'll let you know that it is not going to be easy. And it's going to take some commitments from people that... And we're going to be... All of us will be a little uncomfortable in the process. But uh, I think based on what we have learned in our research, which has been substantial with a lot of help from some other people, that it it, it has a good chance of working. Now, we won't know for several years because you have to wait till they go after they've been trained and see what's going to happen. Right now, but three out of ten stay faithful anyway, and, uh, but the others do not. But we'll be making that clear and, and kind of committed to working with individual families to help bring that to fruition. The text that we're looking at today is from still in the first chapter of the book of Luke. Starting at verse 57, if you look in your Bible, it will probably have a little headline there that says the birth of John the Baptist. And so uh, we see that when John, we, we're going to look at John and his parents and the circumstances around his birth and his perp- and his, the purpose that God brought him into existence start with. Then we'll be looking at what happened with his father while he was serving in the temple, and how that worked. And then we'll get down to talking about angels a little bit later on. I gave you a hint of where we were going when I put in the, um, in the, um, on the internet. You know that there were times when I had claimed to be an angel, and people laughed. But before you're done here this morning, you're going to quit laughing. You'll see what happens. I want you to look at, at, at the people who are involved in the birth of John the Baptist and how it's directly related to the birth of the Messiah. You need to know that for 400 years, from the close of the book of Malachi up until Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, called the Synoptic Gospels. Up until then, 400 years has passed where there isn't anything recorded that God was doing of significance. The result of that is that... uh, people have kind of given up on God doing anything. They wonder, where is he? Does he exist? Blah, blah, blah. You see, the same that same 400 is kind of related to the time that Israel was in Egypt. They were there for about 430 years. And during that period of time, the Israelis had become more like the Egyptians than what they were supposed to be. And so... Unless there is a, unless, it, it appears that unless there is a, uh, uh, it is kind of obvious that God is doing something, people have a tendency just to drift away with, uh, from the whole concept. And the world around about them becomes the primary influence rather than God's people being the primary influence on the world. It all gets turned upside down. And that's kind of the situation, oh, they were still religious, but the fire had gone out. And we have to be real careful because early on in the history of the church, they were looking intensely for the coming, second coming of Christ. I mean, people were even doing a few stupid things the book of Thessalonians talks about some people going out on the hillside, standing out there and looking up all the time and wanting people to bring them something to eat and drink. And the Apostle Paul finally told them, hey, look, you know that bunch of characters standing out there looking up all the time? Quit feeding them. Just tell them, if you don't work, you don't eat. We're living in a time, it appears to me, and and I visit colleges, Christian colleges and Christian college teachers and Christian college leadership, and one of the things that is drastically missing from almost all, if not all, is the looking forward to the coming, second coming of Christ. It almost is never discussed. And so Israel was sort of in that position then. And then when God all of a sudden steps into human history, all of a sudden people didn't know how to handle it. The first thing that he did was to send an angel named Gabriel. Gabriel describes himself as the one who stands in the presence of God. Now let's talk about angels just for a second because these ain't what angels are like. This this kind of nonsense came about as a result of, of people in the 12, 13, 14th century. And and they the, the the paintings and so on and so forth. One of the probably the most influential painter in all of Christianity was a flaming homosexual, for heaven's sakes. Even though he himself was a was a genius. An angel. What is he? If it were if if we didn't use the word, what we did with the word, Greek word for angel is we just took the alpha and put an a, the nu and put an e, and you know the gamma and put a g. We just that's called transliteration. You take the letters and bring them down into English, and it turns out angel. It wasn't translated. If it were translated into Northern Kentucky English, the word would be messenger. In fact, if you've got a good translation of the Scriptures, there will be a footnote that actually will say messenger underneath of it because it, it is a messenger of God. And Gabriel was a big shot. Now, the angels, generally speaking, angels, generally speaking, must be viewed as the military arm of the kingdom of God. That's what they really were. And and when Jesus was hanging on the cross, you remember he was there voluntarily. All the government thought they were putting him there, but they were just being played like a piano by the Lord. He said, I could call legions of angels and get this thing, get out of this mess if I wanted to. So you're talking, and legions is another term for a group, a military group. In fact, the Romans were called the legions of Rome. The 10th legion was the one that came and destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. So Gabriel shows up. Now, he, he, he shows up, and like all the other angels, the minute he shows up, because they ain't in the habit of seeing him. And the minute he shows up, the person to whom he addressed himself was scared. I don't know of any who wouldn't. Now, there's two different words for fear in the Bible. One means outstanding, awesome respect. That's usually what we think of in, in regard to God. The other is the where we get our word phobia. And that's another, the Greek word is Phobia. And it literally means the knees are knocking. And when Gabriel showed up in the temple. Now the temple was rebuilt. Initially it was built by Solomon. David raised the money. and, and But he was a man of war. And God says you're not going to build it. Because this is a household of prayer and peace. And and you, you're not going to build it. Solomon will build it for you. Then it was destroyed, rebuilt, destroyed. And and uh, and Herod rebuilt it. It was a magnificent facility. It was destroyed again then in 70 A.D. when Titus led the tenth legion into Israel. The the, the uh, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was a descendant of Aaron, the brother of Moses. And so was his wife. Her name was Elizabeth. They were both descendants. And the descendants of of Aaron were priests in the house, in the temple of God. And then there were the Levites, all of whom were to take care of the service of God. And the temple was divided up into a lot. It was a big, if you've ever been there, the Temple of Mount is a big area. And within the temple, there is a particular section called the altar of incense. There was the burnt offerings. There are all kinds of places there. And the altar of incense was where people went to pray. They would kneeling outside uh, of the altar. Because the altar of incense, you would put incense on it, and the smoke that would go up from it was to represent the prayers of God's people before God and God says when God's people are on their knees praying and and petitioning me he said I I see I I I see it as a sweet smelling savor in other words he was taking he was using the smoke that came from the incense that had a flavor to it and saying you know it's very appealing to me to see God's people on their knees and coming before me And this guy named Zacharias was doing his turn. Now when David organized the temple, he divided everything into 24 different units. And each unit would work one week, twice a year, except on the high holy holidays. And then they would come in in mass. And he was doing his turn. In the temple, and when you get there, then what they do is, after you show up, then you draw straws to see that's however they did, I don't know, but it amounted to that whether you would say the altar of incense or the burnt offering or you would do this or you do that, whatever you would do, that was decided when you got there, when you showed up. Most of the people who served in the temple, as we've told you before, lived in Jericho. These folks may, uh, did not. They lived in the hill country a few miles outside of the city of Jerusalem in an area that is today called Ain Karim. Now the only Karim that I ever heard was that I grew up with was Karim Abdul-Jabbar and that's because he played basketball. But this this place I could remember because it was called Ain Karim. And there's a church building there that says that that uh, john the baptist and, and his mom and dad lived in that area and it is hill country it is rough but it's just within walking distance in a day's time he easily walked uh, to the temple from where they lived and so it was his turn and he was there serving in the temple this guy named zachariah While he was there, an angel of the Lord showed up and he got his knees knocking. And and Gabriel said, look, you're going to be, you're going to father a son. And the reason he he was in that section of prayer is because Zechariah for years had prayed that God would give him a son. And the angel shows up and says, it's going to happen. We've mentioned this before. You're going to have a son. Okay. And he said... Ain't gonna happen. <laughs> and the result of his unbelief was that he was struck deaf and dumb. And the only way that he could communicate as a result of that impairment was that he had to have a writing pad and he would write on it, communicate what he thought. Five months, and, this, and so this angel, this messenger of God, comes to both Elizabeth, and, to, but first of all to Zechariah. And it's that same angel that five months later went to Nazareth and appeared to a young girl, teenage girl named Mary. But right now, we're, we're, we're talking about old Zechariah and what happened here. The angel brought him the message, and he didn't believe it, so he was struck deaf and dumb. When the baby was finally born, the big deal is that eight days, even if it's on a Sabbath, eight days after the birth, the baby is to be circumcised and named. Poor old daddy, he just stood around, couldn't hear, couldn't talk. And that's when it says here in verse uh, 57, when the time of Elizabeth to give her baby, Elizabeth being Zechariah's wife, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. You know how women gather around other women having babies. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and and the neighbors all participated in this, and they were going to name him after his father Zechariah. That's the tradition. This is the son of, the son of, the son of. Jesus himself was named that way. He was the son of the Most High, the son of God. But his mother, Elizabeth, spoke up and said, No, he's to be called John. Why? Because Gabriel had said, You're to name this baby John, not just after Zechariah. The reason for that is the meaning of the name John in in Hebrew means God or the Lord is gracious. So God had waited, his patience had waited for 400 years. And now, even though they had given up on everything and the religion was just really a set of rules and regulations. And they'd go through the motions. There were very, very few Who had a heart for God. It was a mess. Then they made signs to his father. Zachariah. To find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment he wrote. His name is. John. Then immediately, he, he was able to talk and to hear. And he began to speak, and he started praising God. And the neighbors were all filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. That the area of En Karim are just a, a gathering of high hills around a creek. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is the child going to be? For the Lord's hand was on him. Now, John the Baptist was a rare bird. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come and go. The Spirit of God came up on Samson, you required, and he did what would have been impossible without the Spirit of God. And then the Spirit of God left him, and he started chasing women. So in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come and go. Thank God that's changed. Thank God that's changed. Now, there are those who who rely on emotion even today, and they think, whenever I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, you know, da-da-da-da-da, which is a lot of baloney, it's not biblical. The Spirit of God comes into your life, and whether you feel Him or not, He's there because He said He'd be there. That kind of settles the issue. Now, so we've got to the place here where we've got Elizabeth, Saccharide, and then five months later you'll find out that Gabriel goes to Nazareth, tells Mary she's going to have a child. And we'll deal with that later. Then she leaves home because situations in Nazareth, which it was just a small village, everybody knew that she was pregnant, and she wanted to get, and her husband didn't know, her betrothed, she was pledged to marry Joseph, didn't know how to handle it. He tried to cover up for her, but she did the smart thing. She left and went to her cousin's house, who was Elizabeth. So John the Baptist's mother and Mary, the mother of Jesus, were cousins. Keep that in mind. Keep it all in the family. And so then she goes and leaves Nazareth and stays for a period of time with her cousin Elizabeth. Now, Zechariah now, after the baby is named, named John, the Lord is gracious. After that's done, then the first thing that flows out of the mouth, Zechariah's had all this stuff pin up in him for a long time. And the Spirit of God came upon him, and he blurted out what we're getting ready to read. It's called a prophecy. Prophets were primarily preachers. John the Baptist was a preacher. But he also prophesied. Prophecy, I'm I'm very skeptical of any prophets being legitimate today, to be honest with you. We don't need prophets. We need the word. We have the word of God and we've got all we can do obeying it. We don't need some clown coming around later, and invariably they just spread gossip. We don't need any of that either. There's plenty of it to go around without somebody doing it in the name of the Lord. All we need is Jesus and his word. That's all we need. As well as each other encouraging each other. Now, Here's what's spring out of his mouth, and then we'll discuss it a little bit, and then we'll quit. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied. Remember how that's done now. The Spirit of God would come upon people. They would do things, say things, and then the Spirit of God would go, and they would be back in the flesh again. Here's what he said. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. Now, he's saying... For the first time in 400 years, God has shown up and he's doing something. That's really what he was saying. And the promise of the Old Testament was that he would redeem his people. He would claim them back to him because in 400 years they will have wandered away and he's redeeming them. He's bringing them back into a relationship with him that didn't exist. He has raised up a horn of salvation. That word horn just means the power You see, the gospel is what? The power of God unto salvation. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through the holy prophets a long time ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The covenant that he's remembering here is the one that was made to Abraham. Abraham was told when he took his child up there on on the mountain to offer him as a sacrifice, and then God substituted. And see, that's another important word because substitutionary atonement becomes a, a vital issue. Jesus was our substitute on the cross. We should have died there, not him. He died for us. That's called the substitutionary atonement. These theological terms are kind of important to learn. Now, so the covenant that he made, he said, because God is now involving himself in human history and has brought about a miraculous birth of the forerunner of the Messiah, and then the Messiah is coming as well because he already knew about Mary, because John was born and so Mary was now five months pregnant with Jesus. And so he's saying, God is is finally keeping the promise that he made in his covenant with Abraham. He goes on to say that God swore to Father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to get this, and if I were you, I would underline this next term because I think it's really something special when he says, and to enable us to serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness before him in all of our days. Serving without fear is a big deal. They The people of Israel had lived in fear for a long, long time. They lived in fear of in Egypt. They lived in fear of Pharaoh. They had a good reason to be afraid of him. They came back to Israel. Now they're in fear of Herod. What did he do? Oh, he made a big show to give them a religious buildings and so on and so forth. But he's going to end up killing John the Baptist. To be able to to preach and to teach without fear. Our country was founded based on this principle here. That we could come to our God without fear of government or anybody else interfering. Government has always been the primary enemy of the cause of Christ. Because they, from the very beginning they were afraid that Jesus was going to set up a kingdom. Rome was afraid he was going to set up a kingdom that would compete with them. Jesus, when he stood before Pontius Pilate, said, Why? my kingdom is not of this world. I'm not your competitor. It'll end up being a blessing to you, turkey. But he didn't buy it. Government has always been, been a real problem to us. You wouldn't have much of a reason for knowing this, but before the last presidential election over three years ago it was in the month of august a number of preachers met in a hotel in new york we had invited mrs clinton and mr trump to come and allow us to interview him on behalf of the evangelical christian world here in the u.s there were several of us there, but those of us who were up front at the table, uh, in, in front, I was sitting there with uh, the only one you would probably know would be, he's the pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. I like him because he's little than I am. But he's a, he's a good man and a godly man, and we, we were there to interview because we had sent, sent out requests to both. and candidate Trump said that he would give us a half an hour to interview him. His place is 10 minutes away from the hotel, Marriott Hotel, where we were. Mrs. Clinton chose not to come, even though I promise you she would have been treated with the same respect we gave Trump. We had initially, we said we were going to take several of the preachers that were really high-profile well-known, and the, uh, the old guy who founded out in uh, Colorado, well, he was in California and then moved to Colorado Springs, um, who founded Focus on the Family, we chose to ask the first question. <laughs> well, the problem was he got the microphone in his hand and he meandered on and he wouldn't ask the and he never did. And finally, somebody said, Jim, ask the question. We only have 30 minutes. Well, that didn't work. You can't give preachers a microphone. And so we decided on, quickly around the table there, we decided that we would let Governor Huckabee ask the questions that we'd written out on a piece of paper to hand him. And so he went up on the platform with Mr. Trump. And without going into all of the, all of the things, we, we were concerned about one thing. We didn't get into taxes. That. We were concerned about the cause of Christ and what he, how he would relate to it. And this is the promise that he made to us. He said, I will be a friend to the church. And so far, so good. And he even mentioned that it was, i do not somebody had briefed him, I don't know who, but somebody had briefed him because he had said to us, I know that it was President Johnson who said that if you say anything political, the government will withdraw your tax-exempt status. And he was right about that. And the result was that a lot of preachers became gutless and were afraid that if they said what they needed to say about morality and the things that really count, that they would get into trouble. And, and I'm, I, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not afraid to get into trouble. And I'm not afraid to point and they say, Oh, Scott, you're just a Republican church. Listen, when President Bush, the older one, said, Read my lips, I'll not raise and then turn around and raise taxes, I was the first one to stand up here and say, our president lied to us. Now we're not a Republican church. We're a Christian church belonging to Jesus Christ himself, and our commitment is to speak the truth as kindly as possible, but nonetheless, make sure we speak the truth, Democrat, Republican, Independent, Communist, or whatever, but you speak the truth, and you're not afraid of anybody. And we have to have that freedom. That's the reason our founding fathers said, you know, the separation of the government from the church, so the church has the freedom to help our people become better people because a republic can't stand unless the people are of, of a high quality morality people. We've got a problem there now. We really do. He says, you know, and, and so here's this old guy, here's this old guy speaking out for the first time in, in nine months. He's, he's out, he, he's able to talk and And the Spirit of God comes on him, and that stuff just gushes out of him. And he looked at his baby laying there, and he said, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, meaning John the Baptist. Jesus referred back to his cousin, John the Baptist, and said, Of all the law and the prophets, there's none greater than John. Why was he greater than Elijah and so on? Why was he greater? Because he introduced the Son of God to the world. That made him number one among the law and the prophets. He said, and he's going to give the people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Now this raises an interesting question. Has God changed what he requires for salvation? Old Testament, New Testament, whatever. See, what you need to get straight in your mind, and don't let anybody cause you to waver is this. The Bible and the truth came from one source. It didn't come from the prophet. It didn't come from the preacher. The prophet and the preacher are to give the message that God gave us to give you. And it's only preaching when the message is from God to the people and the guy doing the talking is just a channel through which it flows. And he said, John is going to be one of those kind of guys. He's not going to be afraid to point a finger at Herod and say, you're living in adultery. cost him his head, but he said it. And he said, you know, what was John called? What was his nickname, John the, are you there? John the Baptist or baptizer. Now, John the baptizer, if you want to know what he preached, you would go back. There are several places, but he was calling for repentance like he said he would be. But when you go back and read what Peter wrote about him, Mark wrote it down, but Peter's the one that dictated to him. In the first chapter of Mark, verse 4 and following, what does it say? And so John came baptizing in the desert region, and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And then he went ahead and describes him as a guy that wore weird clothing. That's the message that God said, Okay, God, after 400 years, has John the Baptist preaching, Repent of your sins. Confess that you're a sinner, repent of your sins, and turn to God. It's that simple. That message hasn't changed. On the, fir- and on the first gospel sermon that was preached was preached to Jews. The second comes to the Gentiles. Why? Because Peter had said to Jesus when he asked him, Who do people say I am? Peter said, You're the, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus turned to him and said, Simon, because you've said this, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and you can preach to the Jew first and then to the Gentile the message of salvation that I'm going to give you. And so on the day of Pentecost, he preaches that first sermon. Later on, it's Cornelius, but here at the first sermon, he preaches. And when he finishes preaching in verse 33, the second chapter of Acts, Well, go to verse 37, sorry. And when the people heard his sermon, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, What shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and so you can receive the Holy Spirit. Only this time when you get the Holy Spirit, he ain't coming and going, he's coming and staying. And you need to get that in your mind. I don't care how you feel. Your emotions are not a dictation of what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, you know, He moves in to stay. Now, you can ignore Him and do whatever the flesh wants, but all you do is grieve the Holy Spirit. He doesn't go away. He moves in to stay. And you need to, you really, really need to get your arms around that. With John the Baptist, his father. It was a different era. The New Testament era, he comes in to say... The message is the same. We're all sinners. Come short of the glory of God. Every one of us. And the only way we can reestablish a relationship with the living God is to admit it. That's called confessing our sins. And we confess our sins... And repent of those sins. Being godly sorrow. And then we bury the old man of sin. In, in, the, in the picture of baptism. To rise to walk in the newness of life. To be filled with the presence of God. Who never comes and goes. He comes in to, to make. Your, 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 your body. His tabernacle. No longer a tent. But flesh. Alright. Let's go back to. Luke 1. We'll wind this thing down because I've got to get back to angels in a minute because that's kind of important. So why did God send this boy into the world? He came to... In, in verse 76 says, for the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Because of God's mercy of God, now what he's saying I would underline to prepare the way for him John's simple job was this to make to to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. that was his simple, only real job. and when Jesus came to him for baptism, what did he say? He looked at him and said, "Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world been me because of how I talk i 'd say, "Here comes my cousin, but uh, he didn 't say that he 's a little more advanced than I am, obviously he 's going to be a light shining in darkness. he said and 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 luke writes and and he grew and became strong in spirit. This is not the Holy Spirit; this is uh, his character, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly in Israel. That's the reason some people think he spent time with the Essenes down, but I don't think so. His whole soul ministry was to prepare for the coming of the Messiah that they'd been waiting on for 400 years without any message from God. So that people could serve God without fear. Because they didn't have to worry about God going away or whatever. He, they could depend on God because he kept a promise that he made to Abraham hundreds of years before And God is dependable. You can trust him to do what he says he's going to do. His timing may mess you up a little here and there. But he'll do what he says he's going to do and and, and let it go at that. Now, the world, our world, and the world then all thought that kingdoms had to be of this world but jesus as he said my kingdom is not of this world it's an eternal one it's not a temporary one as much as it pains some of us who consider ourselves to be patriots, the, the days for america as a nation are numbered i don't know what they are but it's not eternal it's not even the most important the kingdom of God is the most important. And if you belong to the kingdom of God, you have, and you're a citizen of God's eternal kingdom, then and you have what? Eternal life. If you're only a citizen of this world, which is temporary, your days are numbered too. He said, you know, my child, he pointed to this baby, my child is going to become a preacher. When I told my mother I'm going to become a preacher, she almost cried. She said, you know how we treat our preachers? We hang a can on them every four years. Sometimes they make it to five. What you all need to know is we live in a day and an age when the church is having real difficulty finding people who will preach the truth in love without fear. And it's the truth in, in the Catholic Church. They can't find priests. Well, they couldn't recruit me. If I were a Catholic. They they did something just super stupid in not allowing those preachers, those those priests to get married. They ought to call them priests to start with. They ought to just call them preachers and they ought to be able to get married. Bless their hearts. All this terrible stuff that's going on, it wouldn't all have gone away, but a lot of it would because they're asking them to live an unnatural life. But forget the Catholics and talk about the evangelicals. We fall under that category. I have a friend in Louisville. We've been there several times. A church that runs 30,000 or more on the weekend in six or seven different Campuses? And the reason is one preacher preaching for six or seven different campuses, we can't find preachers to put in those campuses. If we wanted to, we couldn't. We can't find people who will who who will, you know, it's it's like who would want to be president? Who in the right mind would want to be president of the United States and be put through what they're put through? You'd have to be some kind of an idiot. Nobody wants to do that. You better have a sense of divine calling, and you better have a hide thicker than a ninety-year-old elephant. We need desperately need our Bible colleges are not turning out preachers. They quit calling themselves Bible colleges and call themselves Christian colleges or Christian universities, and and they turn out. Basketball players, football players, and they even have a few school teachers and a few nurses and a few other things. But a friend of mine came up from Winston-Salem needing a youth minister. He knocked on every door in in the dormitory at Kentucky Christian and couldn't find one person who wanted to be a youth minister that would come in a well-paying job. Churches are closing down by the thousands in the United States every day. Not because there aren't any people to go there, but they don't have any preachers to preach there. We need to be searching out seats. I came into the ministry because a guy came to me. I, had a, I was going to University of Kentucky with a scholarship from General Electric. And, and, and a preacher came to me and said, well, he put a guilt trip on me and, and we talk, talked and prayed and talked and prayed and talked and prayed until I thought he'd never quit. He was a lousy preacher. I mean, he could, he made me look good. And, but he wouldn't give up. We need to go get these young men. And I said, young men, I don't believe in women preachers. I don't care what they're saying to now. That's not very popular to say, but it's biblical. We need men who love the Lord, who believe the Bible, and will preach the truth come heck or high water. And we need to go get them, and we need to support them. I'm really proud of, and I hope you will be too in time, of Patrick and Eddie. You're going to get to hear both of them preach here in a few weeks. And if they'll just do what I tell them, they'll really be good. I'm really, I've heard Eddie preach. I haven't heard Patrick yet. You see, things have changed. A preacher of the Bible is supposed to be an angel of God. Yeah. What do we say if we change the word and translated it from Greek to English, it would be a messenger. A preacher of the Bible is to be a messenger of God. He doesn't come up with the message. He learns it, studies it, absorbs it till it becomes a a part of his being, and then he just spews it out, just like poor old Zachariah did when he was able finally to talk. Now you say, That angel business may be a slight stretch. You just don't know your Bible. I are an angel. I can't fly. I can drink. Let's see. I didn't aim to do that. That was an accident. But the Bible actually says that the preacher then. And it's coming, and it's in red ink, by the way, which means what? It's the words of Jesus. If you go to the book of Revelation and start reading in chapter 2 and chapter 3, he says that the preacher in the church is an angel of God, bringing the message of God to the people of God, who then can stand up for God. It says this way to the church at Ephesus, to the angel or a preacher of the church of Ephesus, right. Go down to chapter to verse 8 to the angel of the church in Smyrna, right. Verse 14 to the angel of the church at Pergamum, who are those angels? They're the preachers of the church. We have a responsibility as best we can. We'll never perfectly do it because we're sinners saved by grace. We will never perfectly show you how to live. But we can sure try. We ought to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul said, I'm going to follow on the feet of Jesus so close that if you follow me, you'll be following him. That's what we're trying to do. And if and when we can recover the concept of the preacher being the vessel of the message of God to the people of God. To a world needing to hear from God. We'll be able to recruit young men who will stand up without fear and preach the truth. Loving the people. Loving our God. And saying, follow me. I've lived here among you in September for 50 years. Our goal has been to teach you the word of God and number two, show you how to live for God. And I pledge this to you. I not only intend intend as best I can to show you how to live for God, I fully intend to show you how to die as a Christian. I live with the thought how wonderful it would be as your parting words of this world to look up and say, Here I come, Jesus, and mean it. And I'll tell you this, give you a little secret insight. When we get our children to the place where they know that without Jesus they're going to go to hell, and with Jesus they're going to go to heaven and they want to go to heaven more than they want to be worldly, our kids will never revert back once they're saved. That's the direction we want to go. You want to go with us? Hang on, we're about to get there. So Lord, bless us with a sense of your divine presence. Bless these little children who will be practicing up here today. Help us, oh Lord, to show them how to live for Jesus, to love them and to encourage them and forgive them when they all mess up. But bless them as they stand up here and with their limited abilities put on a program for us next week of serving Jesus. Dismiss us with a sense of your presence, Lord. May your presence, may the sense of your presence never leave us, I pray. But if and when it does, help us to know you didn't go away. We just lost our feelings. And help us, Lord, to find young men who will preach the gospel the way John the Baptist did it is my prayer in Jesus name amen you're free to go christ community church located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth Ohio christ community meets on saturday at 5 p.m. and sunday at 10:30 a.m. for more information visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our facebook page